Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of The Tree Podcast. Today we have a very special guest joining myself and Taylor Dalkey, Julie Douglas, addictions counselor, Lululemon employee, what else? I teach spin. Oh, and spin instructor. Yeah. Yes. So she's here today to talk to Taylor um, about addictions, uh, his experiences, and what she has covered, and all her expertise. So I'll turn it over to them right now. I don't. Yeah. So I guess I'd want to know, like, what what got you into this in general? Um. So I went to school. Um. I was an English major. I thought I wanted to be a teacher, mm-hmm. and then I realized I love working with people, but didn't want to be limited to like a classroom structure. Right. So I moved from Prince George where I was going to school to Lethbridge and finished my degree at the U of L. Yeah. And so you wanted to specifically go into addictions counseling or counseling in general? Yeah. I, so Lethbridge specifies in addictions counseling and I specifically wanted to, to work in addictions. Um, it's like the party school (laughs) specializes in addictions. It makes sense. Totally. And it's like the only school I think other than in Ontario that you would go to for addictions counseling. Yeah. I remember everyone telling me they're like, it's a huge party school. Yeah. (laughs) All my friends who didn't, who went to school, but never got a degree went to that. (laughs) (laughs) Or they became teachers. Yeah. There's a few teachers on U of L. Right. Totally. That's always a good route if like yeah. you like school mm-hmm. and, and you want to get a PhD and just teach. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of PhDs seem to just end up teaching. Yeah. Totally. I was gonna say, but Julie made it out. She yeah. Graduated. I know. No, I and that's old. not to like disparage the school at all either. Like I haven't been there, but uh, I've talked to like some professors about it who've taught there, and they really like the school. Yeah. Like the professors. And it's stuff. great. It was a great program. Um, the school is really nice. Small university. I think it's like great for. Kids who haven't gone away from university either, then they get to experience like what university of life. Yeah, for sure. Is like yeah, it's like a little bit out of the way, so you can go have some freedom over there, kind of. Totally. Well, yeah. you can come home on the weekends if you're from Calgary. You can come home on the weekends, but you're away from home. You're in a different city. Yeah, it's, it's good, I think. Yeah, and so like back to that. Um, what first like drew you to addictions? Did you, did you have per- any personal experience with that or? Um, I did. So. I guess not as much as in the program you are really like put in with people who've had like their fair share of addictions, um, whether it was family addiction or addiction themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, growing up, I had like a really normal childhood. Um, everything was very normal. Uh, I went away for university and I was dating an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. um, when I was up in Prince George, uh, and we did long distance. He was from, uh, Prince Edward Island, moved to Calgary And I think it was the strain of being with an alcoholic that just sort of triggered Mm -hmm. my mind as to, like, what is this all about? Um, Eventually, I developed an eating disorder. Mm. So I had an eating disorder for for, from the age of, like, 18 till about 27. Wow. Um, And so I wanted to specifically work with eating disorders, but then I found, like, the realm of drugs and alcohol to really pique my interest. Right. have a very addictive personality. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky in the nurturing part that it didn't pull me in. I come from a family of addiction as well. Right. I think it seems like everyone, it seems like so many people who are, do have like a history of addiction in the family, even whether it's uncles and grandparents and stuff, but it's like, it's always there somewhere. Totally. And may- maybe that's just a, something to say about how prevalent addiction is, but 
I think there is something to say about like hereditary, like it being hereditary and just people maybe just having that like proclivity to yeah. just being sucked into something. 100%. And if you have a parent who's an addict, you have a 50% chance of becoming an addict yourself. Wow. So, wow. which I always found really fascinating. You either are in it or you're not. Right. And yeah. That's crazy. And what do you think, um, do you think how people raise their kids? Like you say you had that really nurturing environment. Do you think that's like one of the more important factors that helps people stay out of it if they do have that proclivity? Not always. I used to think it was. I was like, my, my dad retired when I was younger, when I was two. And mm -hmm. my mom retired 15 years ago. So mm -hmm. my parents were always heavily involved. Right. I think biologically people are just more predisposed to have addictive, addictive tendencies. And vice versa, I think if your parent is not there... I have a cousin right. and his mom was a drug addict and she, his dad was always traveling. Mm -hmm. And so his mom ended up passing away from an overdose oh, and wow. his dad was never there. And so it was kind of like the 50, 50, if his dad had been there more, maybe he wouldn't have gone down this, this road of addiction, but he himself has gone down it right. now. So I think it just kind of depends on. So yeah, there's so many more, more factors than just that for sure. Totally. That's crazy. Um, man, some people have stories like that and you just wonder how anyone could ever make it out of something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause f for like so many people I know and including myself, like I didn't, I never had some great struggle. I just got, I, it was just like these small step by step by step getting deeper and deeper and deeper and more hooked in onto something. And I, I don't even know if I was ever really in denial about it. Mm -hmm. It was more just like, the steps were so small. The encroachment of it was so slow Yeah. that it was just like, by the time I couldn't stop, Yeah. it was like, I knew I couldn't. And it was just, it, it had just taken so long. And, and I could see how like, you know, a few more years, how like much deeper it gets for people. Oh, totally. It's crazy. Um, what's the first thing people have to do if they need to, to, to get better, to stop? So I've worked at both an in-talk shelter in Calgary. So I worked at Elf House downtown yeah. on 15th. Um, it is basically for people who don't want help. Uh, really? It's your, I would have clients that would go and smoke crack and come see me like two minutes later. Is it like court order? It's not. So it is a homeless shelter for places that people are they won't take people anywhere else. Right. So to get blacklisted there, you basically have to like have a dirty needle. And if I got poked with a dirty needle and they didn't disclose it, and I asked if they had one and they didn't, right. if they lie to you and put your life in danger, you'll get blacklisted. Right. Other than that, they take anyone. Mm -hmm. So we would have people. So you took those people. Those oh who yeah. Were blacklisted. We literally took anyone. Wow. We would take. People who, yeah, were addicted to absolutely everything, who would smoke meth, and then I would work with them, like, half an hour later. We would try to get them into a rehab, um, but with those people, it was almost, it was so sad, but there was, like, no coming back for it. I would right. sign, I would have, um, like, appointments booked for people to go to rehabs, and they just wouldn't show. Yeah. And you would try your best, but they just, they unfortunately... I feel like they had reached their rock bottom because for a lot of them, it was just like death. You basically yeah. just make them comfortable until they die. Yeah, right. It was kind of like a hospital. Like 
you basically were just taking that's care of it. You weren't actually trying to fix it. Basically, well, maybe keep you were trying alive. to fix it, but it just couldn't happen. Yeah, it's like too deep. Like I worked with like street workers and prostitutes, yeah. and I was constantly like visiting hotel rooms and picking up people Jeez. who were like half dead on the street. And yeah. we worked really close with Calgary Police, trying mm. to trying to keep them. Like they would call us, and we would go pick them up rather than the police having to deal with them. So there was that. I also worked at the Calgary Dream Center, which was an all-male rehab. Um, and for those people, it was like family members. They wanted the help. Right. Um, they, it's, it's so crazy, but when people have a child, that is a turning point for a lot of people, I would yeah. say. I, having a kid. I've seen that in my, in my life, too. Yeah. It Pe- makes you yeah. want to switch. People who are like on their way or... Because a lot of people don't admit it to themselves. Well, when I think about my... like sort of me getting addicted to drinking and then drugs it was like there was there wasn't a point where it was irreversible Mm -hmm. but it just got harder and harder and harder to reverse and I've seen people who ended up having kids who that's when they reversed it and you wonder how close were they to like so almost being irreversible because I think there is like maybe there's never a point where it's irreversible but there's like certainly a point where the drop-off is so gets so steep right that it becomes so like inordinately harder to get off like with alcohol it can be that the withdrawals or just that some people i think if your life has fallen so far the idea of getting all of that like coming back that like so how much work it would take to get back to just baseline totally is so big that you 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 might consider it when you're coming down or something like that yeah and then you just think, well, I, or I could just feel good for so, the next, you know what I mean? Do you totally. think, do you think that, so if you have a kid, like a lot of people that gives a deeper purpose to your life, right? Absolutely. especially if you're like lacking one. So do you think that's a big part of it? If you're lacking a purpose, it's so much easier to go down that road uh, and then children really kind of make you have one Yeah. as long as you decide to take on the responsibility. Totally. I mean, some people can just have a kid and not do anything, but yeah, is that... I think so. You've seen or learned. I've seen where people will find out that they have a child coming, and it's a quicker. They want to get better for their child, and they say it takes seven seven relapses before you actually become clean. Really, fully clean. Hmm. They say it takes about seven. Not saying it's that for everyone, but Mm -hmm. I've seen on average it take that. That's probably around. That's probably similar for me too. Yeah, yeah. There was a bunch of like. There's a bunch of times I, I could go like I could go like five days. Okay. Like often. And then after a while, I could go like two days or three days and then I'd start to get withdrawals and then I'd just be like, I just want to like, I don't know. It's, it's like, there's two different voices in your head arguing with each other. Right. And the one voice is just used to winning so often and it's used to making the excuses that you just, you just believe it and you don't believe it at the same time. You know, you're lying to yourself, but you just allow yourself to lie to yourself basically. And there's been so many times like that. I, I wonder how many times I've like really seriously tried to quit. But it's been a number of times for sure before it stuck. And then it only stuck because like I had a friend overdose and die on fentanyl. And then I remember just like... I remember always like joking around about like dying at 27. And so did he and stuff like that. And I had other friends who kind of joked around about stuff like that. And it was like, his death just made me realize it's not like cool to die at 27. He was 27 when he died. He was like a couple days after his birthday or something. And 
and then it still took me six months to, and that's when I had like really decided and it still took me like six months of drinking and doing cocaine all the time. Yeah. And just mm. being drunk and high and thinking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's it's just a, that... such a strange thing because there's something wrong with addiction, with how people perceive addiction because there's like, um, there's like, it's, it's almost like not oxymoron. It's like, it's like an oxymoron. It's like, it's a disease, but you're doing it to yourself. People see the volition. They see you doing it to yourself. And so they don't think, they just think, well, this guy's just, you know what I mean? We'll just stop doing it, idiot kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so hard to explain what it's like. It's like, you're really not under your own control. That's what it's like. Yeah. It's like, you're not under your own control and you hate yourself. Like, and you're just... Your whole life's a mess, and the and now the only thing that makes you feel better is the drugs and the alcohol, and that's the thing that's making it worse. I guess it's like a, um, it's a feedback loop. Totally. Right. Delicious. I was just I feel bad because I'm drunk. I drink because I feel bad, and then it just becomes that, and that's like, and then yeah, and then you keep doing it, and then I think everyone goes through like thinking of suicide instead of quitting because mm-hmm. quitting is so hard. It's like, I'm not even under, under my own control. Like, what do I do here? And you think about like killing yourself and it's just like, it's just an absolute nightmare. And, and I think, uh, people with addictions need more sympathy than they get totally. from the public because it's so easy to see it as just something they're doing to themselves. Yeah. But these people are sad and like in pain yeah. and they didn't, they didn't force. They no one can foresee what it's like once you're addicted. No, just you just don't see it. Do you, do you think? Uh, remember what we talked about with like blame versus accountability stuff. Right. Do you think it's like that? People blame like addicts and be like, "Oh, you did this to yourself," or like, "You know, you shouldn't be doing that in the first place," or whatever. Rather than saying, "Yeah, like we need to help this person because you know they need it, and maybe it wasn't their fault that this happened," yeah. or like. Even if it's your fault, like mm-hmm. you should still help people, I think. But right. I think so it's like maybe some people There don't might see be that blame, way. but accountability is the more... Is well, just accountability in this instance. Usually it's for something else. Like, you know, you do something wrong and you need mm-hmm. to be held accountable instead of being blamed. This is um, what we talked about a little bit before. Um, but accountability in this sense is maybe just, you know, getting you back to being someone that's a, you know, good, positive part of society, which yeah. is good for everybody. And I'm sure most people that are addicted don't want to be, you know, that way. No, at, but at least does, yeah. at least under, you know, like you said, not under your own control. That's scary. Yeah, it's ter- it's really scary. Yeah, it's it's such a strange. It's it's a- an impossible to describe feeling because it doesn't make sense to the user either. Like it never made sense to me. It didn't. No, not really. I used to so a little bit more on my background. I was a. I never thought it was an addiction because I never knew people that did this, but I was a gravel addict. Oh, really? And I actually had a client who was a gravel addict, but it was when I lived up in Prince George. I tried gravel for sleeping while I was too high on cocaine a few times. Yeah. So I would take, like the average person will take like two gravel a night. Yeah. And you are zonked. I don't know if you've ever taken gravel. It's I've taken two... And yeah, you get really drowsy and I'm a lot bigger than you. I would take 40. Wow. What? Like a day? Yeah. A night to fall asleep. That's and it was ins- like... And you slowly built up to that. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. the most unbelievable feeling. 
it was scares me yeah that's a lot because i know how good the good feelings are it was like and that's what is always like a tipping point for me is i always have to keep myself in line because i know what that feeling is like yeah and until you talk to someone who has also gone through it it's like falling in love oh what what was that like what did that feel like it's like how much more intense was that than when you start off taking like two um, when I started taking two, it felt like really good still yeah. because it was such a low dose and I didn't need very much. And then I would just sort of like build it up and build it up and build it up. But to the point where I would buy gravel in Calgary and here you have to get it over the counter. So they ask for your Alberta healthcare, mm-hmm. but in BC you don't, Oh yeah. you can get it off the shelf. And so I was like, it was oh, like yeah. a kid in candy store when I was living in BC. I was like, it was just, I would take but, them and it was just the most, I don't know. How much more intense is 40 than two though? Because... Well, you and build it, your tolerance. You build the tolerance, reason she's still, taking 40 is yeah. To... I, I'm just saying, I, I don't really know the physiology. So, like, you... 40 is still, like, a lot on your body. So, like, even though you have a tolerance, it must be more intense in certain ways. Or maybe even not mentally, maybe, like, physically. I don't know. I, I'm, I think I maybe know. mentally I thought it was more intense, but it was probably the same as back in the day when I only took two. Mm-hmm. I would just realize, like, after taking two, I was like, okay, like, I'm not feeling the same way I felt before. Right. It's not doing its trick. Yeah. So I would like bump it up to four. That happens quick. Yeah. Because it's never as good as the first time. No. Like, for almost anything. If if you have that response. Yeah. And I think addicts get these kind of responses quicker where they go, oh, I like that. You know, like they really like that. I feel like other people, they get like, oh, that was fun. But they don't have like, I have this feeling where it's like sometimes when like I receive the drug or whatever it is, I feel like. I get like this rush that, and it feels not dissimilar to like when you fall in love with someone. Right. You get that like warm heart and that like my hands ache and like, oh, I love, like, it's just like this weird, like, it's like a love feeling and you just fall for it sort of. Yeah. And then you're like the next time you're like, hmm, that wasn't like that feeling I had the first time. Yeah. Maybe I'll just take two more. But then go two ways. Cause what about caution? So that's one way, right? Saying, oh, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel the same, and then you want to bump it up. But what about people that would think that way, but they bump it up, and then it, you know, the next time you go up, maybe it's more intense, and then you kind of get scared and shy away. Totally. Yes. I, does, that, does that happen to you? Like, does that happen to people who have addictions, and then they still go back to it? That, or is that yeah. like kind of a negating thing? That's happened to me where I have went, ooh, I like this a bit too much, and it didn't stop me. But no, what about I if was, like I was it? a bit scared of what might happen, but I was also... No, what if you didn't like it? What if you did it and then you had a horrible experience? Like, oh, that can totally t- would that make throw someone stop? off of something, I think, for sure. Yeah. People who, are, who, are, who have the proclivity to be addicted and get scared off of something, I think for sure that can happen. They also say there's like life moments that trigger it. So it can be something even like having a bad day or like a memory. It's usually that's what causes you to want and crave that good feeling. Mm-hmm. And it could be that you didn't need to take it, but you took it and then you were like, okay, I don't right. need it. Whereas if you were having an off day or something and you took it, it just like calms you and brings uh, the, the good, mm-hmm. warm feeling back. And you're like, okay, this made me feel good when I felt these emotions. It's like if you're in a band and you can't go on stage unless you're drunk, you yeah. might associate like your competence yeah. on stage and your um, confidence. Yeah to being drunk or something like yeah. that. And so I could see going the other way if you had a bad experience, going, oh, this this yeah. drug makes me awkward. I know a lot of people who stop smoking weed because they go, oh, I just get awkward and I, yeah. whatever. Right. And so what they if, just don't like that anymore. Do you remember what we talked about before that you said 
you used to think there's no point of having a drink. Like, if you don't get drunk, what's the point of drinking? Yeah, I so like, yeah. <laughs> but I was, but kind of what you said, Julie, is that sometimes I will have just like one drink and it makes me remember like the good times and everything. Mm-hmm. And but it's just one. I can sit and have one glass of aged rum and just enjoy it. Yeah, and it makes me feel like all the other times I've had good times with it and then that's it and you're satisfied yeah it, i'm satisfied it's good and it's like really under control and i mean i don't i don't know to what level i think everyone has some level of do you of think an addictive personality but i mean obviously i don't have it enough to go down that road but i i just wonder like why for me that's like enough right yeah and for other people it's like oh and then you want it more and more and more i wonder what is the difference it's this, It's the same thing almost, I think. It's like when you get the feeling of, oh, that's enough for me. It's like you're not in control of that feeling. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not in control of that's not enough for yeah. me. Yeah. When you, said, it's just like, when you said there's two voices in your head, this, yeah. this really made me think. I don't really want to go down this road in this because I, I want to talk with you know Julie about her experience more. But yeah. that really just makes me think of that whole... Like, what is the self? Because who is in your mind arguing? I know. There's a third person listening to it all. And it is. So who's in control and who's yeah. actually the one, you know, that is making those decisions? Right. That it, it gets really complicated. Yeah, it's strange because I do argue, but not in some weird, like, uh, golem, Lord of the Rings, like, arguing with myself kind of way. <laughs> but in my head going, well, if I get sober on Monday, then maybe that would work out better. Or I think, like... Well, well, like, I don't know, you just justify it and then you argue yourself out of it and you think, and then sometimes you might even step back and go like, God, like I, I, sh- I need to just stop. And then once it's like, they just, I don't know, the, you just argue yourself out of it. Yeah. And I don't know what the two parts are. But, but that's the thing. When you really stop and think about it, who, like, where are those voices coming from? Yeah. yeah. Like, there's a voice saying, don't do this. There's a voice saying, do this. I guess there's, it's like, like there's the a super self-listening and there's yeah. a self-making the decision. Like, I don't know the answer to that, and when the more I think about it, the more confused I get. Right. I don't know if it was Jung or Freud who came up with like the ego, the id, and the superego, but I think the id is like the emotional. I could have this wrong, but I think the id is like the emotional part of your consciousness. The superego uh, controls both the ego and the id, and the superego is like the logos, like the logic. I think yeah. part of where that goes. Okay, this is what this is why this is going to be a bad decision, and then the id sort of goes like. Yes, but it feels great. Like, let's just do it kind of thing. And but then who decides, yeah, but where, who decides which from? one you listen to? I, oh, yeah, right. Do, yeah. Julie, do you, I hear you do a lot of, or any, meditation work with people? Uh, yeah, else? some people, it certainly does. Um, like, when I worked at the Dream Center, we had a lot of guys that wanted, like, to, to work more with, like, yoga and things like uh-huh. that. Um, which was great. For some people, it works and some people doesn't. It's the same with religion. Mm, yeah. Seventh step works super well for some people and other people it doesn't it doesn't work for. That's why I I'm so passionate about finding programs that work individually for each person mm-hmm. compared to like pigeonholing someone. Right. But I feel like there's some some places you can go and you can work on like meditation and get through it. I think it's rare. Yeah, it's harder. It is. I've known people that have gone to rehabs that are more like a spa and you work on meditation and you work on things like that it just depends on the person yeah Mm -hmm. see I just think for what we just talked about meditation would be great because that kind of silences all those Those voices voices. yeah Yeah. meditation is getting to you're trying to eliminate all ego you're trying to get to just you're trying to get to pure consciousness 
I, then those voices aren't even there, which I think would be a good method. But again, person to person, totally. who's able to attain that? Yeah. And for you, it would be almost perfect because you don't hear like the two conflicting sides of it. So you're like, I feel like it could be like a calming ease to it. Yeah. Whereas someone who like really hears both of those, it would, you'd probably be so in your head. It's like people who've suffered from really bad anxiety. You can't shut off those two voices. So you'll try to meditate. People go to mm. yoga. Like yeah. I'm very bad. I suffer from really bad anxiety. So I'll go to yoga and it's like, I'm like thinking about everything else and nothing about yoga. Right. Or nothing about meditating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly think that meditating for a lot of people, especially early on, would just give like a platform for that inner dialogue. Because you're not that, actually that meditating. That I needed to ignore when I was trying to get sober. I needed not to, al- not to allow time or space for that voice to go, to argue with the other voice. Mm-hmm. So you think it would be good or bad? I don't, I don't know. I think it might not be the greatest right at the beginning. Right at the beginning, I had nights where there were parties going on. Like there was one like on Halloween that I wanted to go so bad that uh, something like a part of my personality had to die for me to say no to it. And I like, it was like, I was having like a panic attack, like an existential crisis. It was awful feeling and like I was like sort of hyperventilating and I was like oh like why do I feel like this why do I need to go drink right now I want to go drink like I'm gonna miss this party it was like fear of missing out but and and like I I just had to go running and I like and I just like ran I just like got dressed really quick and it was like midnight and I just went running down fish creek and like I ran for like 15 minutes and then I just stopped and I cried and I was just like something was like I was I was like burying a friend yeah it was like that that thing was like my competence. Like I am confident and competent and great at making friends. And I basically only ever had sex when I was drunk. Mm-hmm. Like everything that I had learned to do as an adult was while I was drinking and drunk or high on drugs. And that's where like my, my domain of competence was intoxication while being intoxicated. I could like do anything like, and like, my whole personality was who I was drinking and partying with people. That's how I made all my friends. That's how I met girls. That's everything. And like having to really, yeah, that's how we became friends. That's how I went to Jamaica. That's how I went on so many impromptu trips. It's like all my fun memories were of drinking. I, I didn't, I didn't like, I played sports and stuff a lot when I was younger, but I didn't really, really love it. But I really, really loved drinking and I liked who I was drinking. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, I hated who I was drinking now that I think about it. Because I thought I was the coolest person or whatever while I was drinking. And it wasn't. I was like an asshole and I was like, really, my relationships were awful and all kinds of stuff. But that part of me had, like was dying and it was wanted not to die so bad. And it was just like this, it was a like a panic attack it was like and for me i had to do something physical to if i could not meditate that away i think if i meditated yeah. i would have went because i would have allowed that voice i had to like run or maybe hit a punching bag would have been good or mm-hmm. something but i wonder if because really early on it's like and i think anything can trigger you back and you need i don't know for me for the physical working out because i was tired i could it it's took me forever to sleep yeah like so the problem is, right, I'm sure you know that meditation's really difficult to achieve. The yeah. actual meditation. And just trying to do it is probably a negative. Because you're Maybe. just thinking more. Yeah. Which is bad. So yeah, when I when I asked you like if 
the people you work with can meditate. I mean, it's super hard because to get to that point, it's hard for somebody not going through something to get to a state of meditation. Right, right. Let alone somebody who is going through something that difficult. Right. But if you were able to get to it, I think it would be very beneficial. Absolutely. It's just, I think it's next to impossible. You could find maybe one out of a hundred people. Totally. That would be able you to have to let a lot of things go to get to that point. Yeah. Super vulnerable. Sort of just be, yeah. Uh, I'm just difficult. It's really yeah. difficult not yeah. to think. It's nearly impossible. Whenever I feel like I'm meditating, I, I, hit, I go to the steam room after I work out all the time and a lot of times it's just me in there and I've done it maybe like five or six days a week for like a year. So I've been in the steam room by myself like a lot. And now when I go into it, I'll like kind of clue in and I'll be like, oh, I've been in here for like 10 minutes just thinking. It's like as soon as I sit down and I realize I've kind of like made this a meditation spot by accident. Just because there was nothing to talk to in there. So you just sit and think. And now it's just like I I clue out. It's like almost like sleeping in a way. But see, that's good. But meditation is the absence of thinking. Right. So that's a different thing, which I think is also possible. But that's the thing. I think it's useful to sit and think yeah. like that. I think that's mm-hmm. great, but that's a different type of thing. And right. that's good to sort through things. Mm-hmm. But meditation is to let go of everything. And yeah, it's almost impossible. I've hit it for seconds at a time only. Yeah. Right. I've maybe like seven times reached for like two seconds each time. It's like meditation. really being in the moment. Yeah. Say. And they're, and they're so powerful like that, whatever. Yeah. 30, I that. that's 20, so 30 seconds total in my life. I've been able to reach that. Yeah. Have been amazing. And it's like, you kind of, the after effect lasts, but the actual moment of it is like so fleeting. Mm. But then you can kind of you see it's possible. Totally. Which is I don't know I I wish you could do it, I don't know. but maybe because it's so hard is what makes it so good. If it was easy and everyone could do it, maybe it wouldn't have as yeah. much impact. Totally, yeah. and have everyone want to get there. I have a question, and I want to see. Just, I want to see sort of how much of my experience this resonates with, because I never went. I didn't. I should have, but I just didn't. It just didn't end up happening. I didn't go to AA, and I was open to doing it. It was just something that never happened. I never forced myself out to go do anything like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but what sort of, like, what sort of things and advice do you give people when they're starting out? Like, what what things do you start them off if they're asking, "How do I do this? What do I need to start with?" Like, um, I think the first thing is to be in acceptance of what is going on in your life. Um, never belittle yourself and like just be patient with yourself. Right. Um, I think a lot of the time you'll jump in, especially with addicts, like I, I notice a lot of them have very type A perfectionist personalities. Mm. Um, and it could be that something traumatic happened in their life and they didn't it didn't go the way they did. So then they used alcohol or drugs as a coping mechanism to like drown down those feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so then you'll go to something like AA and you might not even last the whole meeting or you, you've gotten the courage to go but you haven't gotten into your vehicle. Right. Knowing that that's okay and things like this take time is so key. Hmm, that's really interesting. Cause I didn't, I didn't think of that really, but that, but that makes sense. Being afraid to go was certainly there for me. Yeah. And because it's just new and, and weird and it's a strange sort of admittance even just to go. Yeah. You're admitting to yourself that you need to go maybe, but yeah, being able to fail is certainly. Yeah. And knowing that it might not be that day, but at least you're keeping it top of mind that mm. you're willing to make the effort to do it. Yeah. Um, holding yourself accounting accountable and sharing with people that you're comfortable with so they can hold you accountable too. Right. Um, it's just doing those like different life 
changes that can just sort of help you through and and for some people you're able to do it on your own like I know for yourself and for myself we're super fortunate that mm-hmm. we there was just something there that could... I, I didn't fully do it on my own you either, didn't? though. well there's a subreddit called uh it's called stop drinking or I think it's called stop drinking okay and <clears throat> I remember posting something like a month in to my sobriety saying I was like a month sober on a thread <clears throat> and like two or three people private messaged me and said that's awesome I've been sober for six years like come to stop drinking and like you know check out what's going on over there and stuff like that and I talked to a couple of those guys like a bunch of times early on and like like uh, my girlfriend's having like a work Christmas thing like I'm like afraid I might drink if I go but I really want to go with her and stuff like that and they said okay like here's what happens like if you go and you feel the urge, just step outside. Just go outside, be, get away from everyone, yeah. and just like take some re- breaths and just calm down and like think about what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. And that's a huge thing too. I've found is like sometimes I think like, man, I wish I could drink again, or like, God, I wish I could do cocaine or something like that. Totally. Almost every day, there's like something where I usually think, well, that's. But now the voice is just squashed so easily there's no argument yeah there's no back and forth dialogue it's just immediately swept away and i think that's another thing too like people need to be patient that will happen eventually yeah takes time but um yeah just being i guess uh it find something anonymous like that because even though alcoholics anonymous is anonymous it is there is something kind of scary about putting your face out there you're bringing your whole body to the thing i found like stop drinking was really nice and i remember there was a couple times as well where i thought if i drink i'm gonna be letting this guy like this random user down he cared like totally he seriously cared because yeah. he'd been through it and he was like man i i hope like i hope you get through this and like you know message me on monday kind of thing and he was just just there to help and i think anyone who's been an addict and has gotten through it is is willing to help totally like, everyone knows what that's like but Knowing that you, knowing that it's okay to fail and knowing that it's okay to like even want to fail, Mm -hmm. like you might want to, you know, whatever it is, is, is a really good point. It's normal. Like all those feelings. Yeah. Another one I think is like, you're going to be lonely. It's a getting sober. You're going to lose. If you've been doing what you've been doing for a long time, probably a lot of your friends are in that world or whatever. It's a lonely road, but like. Make yourself that hero that has to go walk down that lonely road to become like the, you know, totally the archetypal champion or whatever. Like that, that's like the path that the, the, the hero has to take sometimes. Or like, if you want to think of yourself as like the main character in the movie, like what he has to do to become like who he is, like, or, or your favorite character or whatever. Like for me, that was like something I thought about, like, it's like, Sometimes you have to go through that like strange training metamorph- metamorphosis process, right? And it's okay to like t- to be lonely, yeah, and to not talk to anyone, but also to be prepared for that. A lot of people they start missing their friends. I think totally, yeah, big time. And your life changes, and you'll meet. Your life takes like a different different path, and I think that's why I'm so open to sharing. Is because you never know what someone's going through until you do share with them. And it's even being that person that you can be a stand for as far as like someone's dealing with something in their mental health and they know that you've gone through this and you came through it and you could be that one person who changes their life 
and you changed your own. You're not the 27-year-old right. who thought they were going to die at 27. Yeah, for sure. It's it's been a it's definitely been a journey. And there's so many. I feel like there's so many things to say about like getting sober in general. But I think you should be very proud. Well, yeah, I'm. I'm very happy for sure. Yeah. Like I'm happy. Like I'm. I'm happy about that, and I'm happy. Yeah. I always think of that too, because I always think, oh, maybe I can handle it now. Yeah. Which is like, no, of course I can't. Totally. You know, immediately think. I think in Alcoholics Anonymous they say play it through. Yeah. And I, I always do that. Whenever I think, I think, okay, what's going to happen? I'll be able to handle it for maybe a year even. Right. That would be incredible. But by the end of the year, I'll be drinking way more than I ever planned on. Right. And by the end of the next year, I'll be back to where I was for right. sure. And like, yeah, it's just, you have to be honest with yourself, I totally. guess, which is hard. Yeah. And acknowledging it and it's there was always like an embarrassment and a shame I always found behind it. And then I was like, it's more of that when I don't get the help compared to when you actually do get the help. Mm -hmm. And that's why I went into this field. I was, I was like, I would, I want to be there and be a stand for other people and I want to help other people. So, yeah. And it's great. And it feels great when you can help other people. I've had so many conversations with people who like close friends, people like friends who said my friend who you don't know, um, needs to talk to someone. Can mm -hmm. I get you, can I get you in contact with them? It's happened a ton of times for me. And like, I mean, I can give like all the advice that I've accumulated, all the things I've learned, like stay away from your friends for a while. Yeah. Just pick up a hobby. If it's physical, I think it'll be better. Yeah. The more physical, like the more physical hike, like canoe, like if it's the summer, find something, like yeah. get into something. Totally. Like allow yourself to get into something, find something you might like. But physical was always really key for me because it got rid of all that energy I had. Like there was like an energy behind the addiction. Yeah. And that when I, when I worked out, I could sleep easier and I could like, I could just relax totally. without being buzzing in my head or something. Those natural endorphins are pumping. Yeah, like, that's true too. Good. After my workouts, I felt happy and accomplished, yeah. especially if I didn't want to go mm -hmm. and I did go and I felt even better and stuff. But yeah, it's a strange... It's a strange journey. I know. Yeah. It's good. I think physical, I think for a lot of people, physical fitness is, is huge too. I sit on a board called seven step and we integrate criminals back into society. So, um, right. we don't take like, we, I deal a lot with addicts, but it's also not sex offenders or mob snitches, but everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's not those two. It's but not the group, but it's this like murderers. Mob snitches is an odd I know yeah. it's because that's a thing. Still? Yeah, you can't. Well, you can't have any snitches because then because snitches get come, snitches. Yeah, they'll come find you. <laughs> and we don't take wow. sex offenders because obviously. Yeah. So how we, much crime is directly related to drugs and alcohol? Uh, it's like the majority, like, like all, almost all of it. Yeah. yeah, I would say like eighty percent. They say if you're involved in a violent crime, the chances that alcohol is involved is, mm -hmm. it's like very close to a hundred percent. Yeah. It's not a hundred percent, but, and, and same with being murdered. If, if you murder someone or, or you are murdered, the chances that alcohol will be involved is like nearly a hundred percent. Yeah. Which is odd because alcohol's like drink as much alcohol. Like the, the society is like, eh, wine, wine on Thursdays, wine on Fridays. Totally. Like, 
drink all the time. But alcohol is a strange, strange one. Uh, it's um, it's it's like a violent drug. It, one of my friends, we were walking one time in Fernie, a couple of guys you know, and the one guy was like super drunk. He was walking ahead of us down the road, and my other buddy turned to me and he said, "If an alien came down right now and saw this guy." walking and acting like he is, he would think that's the craziest drug that there is on earth. Right. The way he's right. acting, being drunk. Yeah. Like he'd think this is the craziest out of all of them. Yeah. But meanwhile, it's the most accepted and most widely available one. Yeah. And the longest, it's probably the oldest used. Yeah. There and like, other animals use it. Yeah, eat rotten fruits and stuff like that, apparently. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And you can get it from, like, I've had clients addicted to... Hand sanitizer. Yeah, like you can I've get that high. That. I've had a client who drank bleach. <sighs> oh, it, just because it smelled like alcohol, probably. Yeah, it's yeah. just like you, it's a remedy that even if you're not going to the liquor store, like you're able to get that high through something. Yeah. So. There were times where I was having near meltdowns and panic attacks because I wasn't sure I was going to get to the liquor store on time. Yeah. Like heart racing, like, like what am I going to do? Like, if I don't get booze, like, I'd, I'll be, I won't be able to sleep. Yeah. For one. Like, it was just like a night, it's just a nightmare to be addicted to alcohol. It's such a bad one. Have you ever seen that short? I guess they're all, I can't think of anyone's that are not too, like being addicted to weed wouldn't be Have, so have you bad. seen that short, uh, Functional Alcoholics? Have you ever seen it? No. So it starts out really funny and these, it's with TJ Miller. Okay. It's like really funny. These, it's a couple and they're always drinking and whatever and it's like hilarious and then it turns and gets super sad and and yeah it's kind of like depressing because mm. they're actually addicted and she ends up drinking like Listerine and whatever and then she leaves like she makes a decision to stop but she has to leave him in order to do it because he doesn't want to stop he just wants to keep having fun even though right. it's not really he's having fun in the moment I guess but it's he needs to keep it going and as soon as he stops it feels horrible and it's just kind of illuminated like basically your whole journey in like a 20 minute thing of like it yeah. starting and being fun and it being awesome and kind of peaking and then going downhill and becoming like a problem and yeah I, I don't know that's my yeah takeaway and that's that. normally yeah it is always so fun until it's not fun anymore yeah and then you're like okay but by that point when it's not fun anymore you like need it to survive yeah. like you're just like I can't yeah it's so strange. I remember when I started drinking when I was 14 and I remember when we were 15 or maybe 16, um, my friend Eric and I were, we can't remember who had this idea first. Cause I think I had the idea first, but he thinks he had the idea first, but we remember, we're like, we should make a documentary about how much we drink. Cause at 16, me and our, me and our friends, we drank like so much. And I don't think I don't think I missed a weekend like since I was like 14 or 15 of like drinking Saturday, Friday and Saturday. Yeah. Or I probably have, but, but maybe when I was trying to get sober or something like that. And then, and then in the last like three years of drinking, I almost, I don't think I missed a day. Or if I did, it was because I slept for like 20 hours because okay. I had done, you know what I mean? So like so much drugs and I've been up for two days or something like that. Yeah. And but but I remember when we were like 16, we were like, man, we're going to be alcohol, alcoholics one day. We thought that because we loved it. So like partying yeah. so much. Like we were all like, what are we doing this weekend? What are we doing this weekend? It was always about like, what are we going to do on the weekend? And, and even, yeah. And even now I think about, 
I think about how many friends I have who aren't alcoholics, yeah. but if they had to stop drinking for a year, it would be maybe impossible. Yeah. Like they just wouldn't do it. Yeah. And even if it was for some grand, like maybe they'd win $10,000, they probably wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. I wonder. It's really pernicious. Yeah. To stop altogether is almost impossible. Yeah. Well, obviously not impossible. You've done it. A lot but of it, other people have done it, but it's really hard for even a casual drinker to stop completely because oh. it's such a part of of our culture yeah it's that's what it is it's it's like a societal norm you know before you i thought about this the other day before you've ever drank nobody nobody wonders why you're not drinking Mm -hmm. but as soon as you start drinking and you say oh i'm not drinking they go why aren't you drinking everyone's like it's it's weird that someone wouldn't be drinking yeah now like now that you're 18 or older or something. Yeah. It is actually weird if someone is not a recovering alcoholic, if they're not drinking, totally. you yeah. what is you going went, on. Yeah. Are you super religious or are what is wrong? Yeah. Yeah. There's something. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're pregnant. Yeah. You're it's pregnant. like everyone realizes you're, you're religious. Yeah. <laughs> what else? What other reason is there? You're yeah. pregnant, religious, or you're a recovering alcoholic. There's no other reason for you not to drink. Yeah. Everyone realizes it's like fun and you know. Totally. Yeah. Oh, well, on that note, that's it. Thank you, Julie, for coming. Thank you. We appreciate your insights and everything you had to say. Yeah, that was great. I really liked that. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. That was awesome. Thanks a lot. Um, shout out to our partners, ecocompanion.com, Embodied Adventure. have a couple trips coming up, so check the website for that if you're interested. And that's it. See you next time. Who we got next? We got float life. Yeah, the guys in float float life. life. So that'll be an interesting one. Maybe some more meditation talk and stuff. Yeah, a lot more about meditation and actually a lot more about mind expanding drugs, but not in the sense of addiction, in the sense of discovering your inner self, exploration and discovery. Yeah. All right. Bye.